When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Saturday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. We got news to talk about. Lots of interesting stuff from Ryan Day in a conference call with reporters on Friday. I guess it was the first time we talked to him since uh, the game, right? Is that right? First time since the yeah. national championship game. So we covered a lot of ground from with Ryan Day that's. Uh, you know, we're not just going to regurgitate what he's going to say because then we just we would just play what he said and we would just leave. But we'll opine about that. Greg Madison, as we knew, retiring. So they have an opening on the defensive staff to fill. We'll talk about that. Ryan Day asked about how many spots they might have for recruits for the late signing period. They're kind of up against it. We'll talk about that, where they are with their scholarships right now um, and sort of the transfer portal. And then the looming quarterback battle. Kyle McCord, C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, that's coming your way this spring. And Ryan Day talked about sort of how that might shake out. And also just sort of like the logistics of how spring football and that kind of thing might work. Uh, they're working on figuring that out right now. Like Ohio State doesn't have a spring break this year because they move the calendar around. So that's usually part of how they figure things out. But, you know, a lot is changing and they're adjusting. And it I think they're hopeful to have a little more of a normal spring football, but also realizing, realizing it won't be completely normal. So let's save the quarterback stuff a little bit for the end. Let's lead off with Greg Madison. Co-defensive coordinator and title came from Michigan when he was hired on Ryan Day's original staff. You could see the Urban Meyer influence there. Greg Madison had worked with uh, Urban Meyer, had been a, a assistant for Urban Meyer at Florida. Then he had gone to the NFL. Then he was at Michigan for a long time. Ryan Day at the time said in hiring co-defensive coordinators, he kind of wanted more, like a more veteran guy who especially knew the Big Ten. That was Greg Madison. And then the younger guy um, who he liked but didn't know the Big Ten as well was Jeff, was Jeff Halfley. Worked pretty well. I asked Greg Madison a thousand questions about coming from Michigan when he was here. And I don't know if people liked it or not, but I sort of, I sort of thought it was weird. But – the two years that he were here, this is, I think, what they thought when he hired him. It was a short-term hire, and so now here we are. So, Nathan, you wrote the post at Cleveland.com that went up Friday afternoon. Ryan Day didn't really give anything away, but what do you think right now is the impact of losing Greg Madison off this Ohio State staff? 
Well, I think you always like having veteran voices around. I think that's not a bad thing. But I also think this gives Day an opportunity right now as they're reassessing what their defense needs to be in reflection to what the shortcomings were in 2020, frankly, to go out and hire a coach who maybe best helps them fix those problems. Now, whether you think that whether you feel like that is just philosophically you need to bring in someone with a different angle that can help you look at things from a new way, um, whether you feel like you need to bolster a certain position group as far as your, your coaching staff, uh, I think you can go in a lot of different ways with it. But as, as you pointed out in the conversation that we had, at the, as you said, at the time, they're hiring Halfley, they're hiring Madison. You've got a very interesting kind of balance in experience and Big Ten backgrounds and things like that. Well, then when Halfley leaves and you go hire Kerry Combs, you sort of hired in that more experienced, more Big Ten side of things again. So now it would not surprise me at all if they went something somewhere younger, tried to like catch somebody on a more of an up-and-coming track, that sort of thing. I suppose they could also look to someone – could they look at someone like Al Washington on the staff and promote him to a, a co-defensive coordinator title and hire someone else as linebacker? I don't know. They have options. I think it's going to be interesting to see who, where they go with this. I feel like Marcus Freeman would have been a very interesting person to look at had he not already taken a job. Marcus Freeman's not going anywhere. He doesn't run a defense. So yeah. if you hire Marcus Freeman, you have to give him the defense. Yeah. So if you hire yeah. Marcus Freeman, you're demoting Kerry Combs. So that's part of this here. That It doesn't feel like to me that that's the route they're going to go. You have to hire somebody who is comfortable coming here, potentially for the title and having a co-defensive coordinator title and being collaborative, but it's not the final decision maker. Marcus Freeman had already kind of done that, actually, at Purdue. Yeah. Where he was he got promoted to being the co-defensive coordinator at Purdue when he wasn't really the co-defensive coordinator. I mean, it was it was kind of like the balance they had here. And then he went to Cincinnati and had a more a real role there. So I think you're right. I don't. He's the defensive. Cor- he was the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati. He's the right. defensive yeah. coordinator at Notre Dame. Correct. So he right. wasn't going to come here to be anything other than the defensive coordinator. But something um, like what he did earlier in his career, a young guy like that mm-hmm. could make a lot of sense mm-hmm. here. So they could go any number of ways. And this is why I always make fun of this. And I, I just make fun of it because I can't do it myself. You can, I mean, it's like everybody puts out the national reporters put out the lists for stuff like this. And it's just the guys that they want to have relationships with. Or they just want to throw out some names or the guys that agents tell them to throw out the names. I mean, I don't know. It's not like Ryan Day is actually telling people, here's my list of nine guys. I got nine guys on my list. Here, you just play, but you can play who might he know. We can all play that game because guess what? When Ryan Day got hired, if you played who might he know, you would have gotten to Jeff Halfley, right? It's like, well, we never heard of Jeff Halfley. It's like, I don't know. They work together in San Francisco. So that kind of stuff happens all the time. So I played a li- I tried to play in the, you know, the 10 minutes since sort of the press conference ended and we started talking. I took a little nap. I didn't sleep well last night. I tried to play a little Wait, who hell. might he know. I took like a 20-minute nap. I got like three hours of sleep. I couldn't fall asleep. I ate salsa. I ate hot salsa late in the night. Didn't go well. Yeah, that's probably Didn't go well. Hmm. My body is shutting down. The things that my body can no longer process. I mean, I can, like, I'm like a baby. I can eat bananas and not much else. Probably for me, it's probably for me eating chilies every Saturday for the last three months. Take that back. Take that back. We're never I'm sorry. If, if you imply that chilies <laughs> is ruining my body. I'm sorry, chilies. Chilies is saving Doug's body, actually. That's what's keeping it together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a name. I, I don't really mean this. 
Um, let's see if you guys can guess it in name in play and name that guy. We're just gonna make our own list because here's the thing: you make a list, nobody remembers. It was like, oh, uh, the Buckeye Talk said there were six contenders for the co-defensive coordinator job, and then Ryan Day never actually talked to any of them, and he hired somebody who wasn't on the list. You never get held accountable for that. So I want to be cool. I want people to think I'm cool. I have a guy who is not all that old. He's not super old. He's significantly younger than Greg Madison. Has Big Ten experience has been a defensive coordinator before, played at Ohio State, does not currently have a job. Name that fake contender. And I played did say so. Played at Ohio State? Played at Ohio State. We did this uh, on the – so go back and listen. We've had good podcasts this week. We did this with the NFL stuff. Sometimes when I make you guys guess and you think for like seven seconds, I cut out the thinking. I do – I when I go and edit – I'll take a seven-second pause and make it a two-second pause, but I don't want people to think that you guys aren't giving it serious consideration. So however long this silence is, it was actually longer in real life, but there's a very fine line between what is interesting thinking and what is just eight seconds of dead air on a podcast. So who knows how long these guys actually thought about it. I will tell you, they are just looking at the sky. They are peering around their houses and their apartments. They do not have the answer to this. Three What's he do? Can we get one more hint? What is he doing right now? Nothing, because he just had a really big job in this most recent college football season that he no longer has. Because he didn't do very well. Bo Pelini? Bo Pelini! How about Bo Pelini? Former Nebraska head coach. By by my reporting, really one of the only three, one of the three guys considered for the head coaching job when Urban Meyer got it. It was kind of like Urban Meyer, Luke Fickle, or Bo Pelini. Just let go by LSU after their defense uh, was awful this year. Former head coach at Youngstown State, only 53. Only 53, former Ohio State safety. Just throwing it out there. I mean, like, I mean, like, like crazy, but also like, I mean, like, why is it crazy? I don't hate it. And the reason why is, I mean, you, you two and Bill spent the, spent the press conference today drilling Ryan Day about why they keep, why they keep playing single high safety and why they won't play two, two safeties. I mean, Bo Pelini just came from a league where, yes, they play two safeties all the time because if they don't, they're going to get, as we saw with LSU last year, they're going to get ran off the field every single week. So I, from for that reason, I'm bringing in somebody who can who can implement that into Ohio State's thinking. I, I don't hate it. I don't love it, but I don't hate it either. What do you think, Nathan? Do you hate it? Do you love it, or is it just a weird thing for me to say? Oh, I, I think it's 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 just as plausible as any other name that's probably getting thrown out there right now. But really, I mean, it, it goes against kind of what we were thinking, though, right? That they might go for someone more like a Halfley. Yeah. So okay. So here's I, I have one other name. Just, again, in 10 minutes of research, but I don't know. Well, I don't know. It could be it. Here does seem to be the distinction. I think, so you either can hire somebody who is steeped in sort of this single high safety, as, as Landis called it in his question, sort of this Pete Carroll style of defense. You can hire somebody who's like an expert in that because that's what Ryan Day wants to do. That's what Ryan Day has wanted to do his first two seasons. And they didn't do that as well this year, Right. So you can really target that. Hey, we really want somebody who knows that. Or you can maybe sort of decide. And I think what Ryan Day 
thinks about it will maybe affect who he hires. You can kind of decide we're moving away from that. And so that I think is a first consideration a little bit, Stephen. You kind of mentioned that, that, okay, well, do you want to lean into the thing that you've wanted to do or do, are you adjusting and maybe moving away from it? Because when Kerry Combs got hired, they talked about Kerry Combs went to the NFL. He played more of a cover two press man thing here at Ohio State. But then he, he goes to the NFL, he multiple, multiple, he learns all kinds of things. So he's got the wide range, but I don't know which way he's going to go. We, so Landis asked him and then I asked the follow-up. I couldn't tell what they're going to do because it's the thing that I sort of said before, which is if you're going to sort of change your defense for Clemson and Alabama, then why not play it all year? And he was a little bit open to that. But, Stephen, did you get a read on where we think that structurally might go? I think that we've kind of discussed it, and I think that's where he's leaning as well. I think your question was pretty much spot on with maybe what he's thinking is you can't just pull that out when it's time to play the big boys in college football. You've got to – that's got to be ingrained in these guys' mind at some point in the season, even if it is only for a couple of series a game. You have, it can't be just something new once they get to the best games in the, in, the, in the schedule. So I do think they will lean more towards it, which is, I think, reflective of the defensive back recruiting and the different types of guys they've recruited. Now, now obviously, they needed a talent influx, but also just that number of guys, of guys who can play outside corner, guys who can play slide, guys who are safety. I think it's reflective there of – I think the first year it just made sense given what the personnel was. And then you stuck with it this year while you had a new defensive coordinator. But now that you started to recruit to certain things, you can kind of go multiple and do what Kerry Combs talked about and just have a lot of different ways you can approach things on defense where it's not just a single high safety all the time unless it's third down. It's also only been 11 days since the national championship game. It sounds like Ryan Day spent part of that time on a beach in Florida or uh, searching for pine cones in New Hampshire or whatever. So the, hey, listen, listen, have you ever been to New Hampshire? Don't no. be slamming New Hampshire. <laughs> I'm, sure New Hampshire. I, I, I'm sure it's a, it's a fascinating state. My people but, are from New Hampshire. I am right. here to stand that up. That tells my me everything father, I need to know. My father. <laughs> it's a very loud state. <laughs> Just the voices I, bouncing off the trees. I didn't say I grew up in New Hampshire. They wouldn't have me. They would be like, what happened oh. This man has New Hampshire roots. What? Where did he go wrong? My Every father, village has a, like a catapult where they put a guy like kid on like you on it and just shoot them across the border into Vermont. There's like a strip of beach. New Hampshire does have ocean front. There's like a beach that's like two miles of beach. My dad, when he was a young man, worked uh, wash dishes in a restaurant at the beach in New Hampshire. So Ryan Day maybe was on the beach in Florida, and then maybe was in the beach in New Hampshire in January. Lovely this time of year. Mm. Go ahead. Anyway, my, my larger point was going to be anybody who expected him to come in today and say, you know what, yep, we're throwing it out and we're coming in with something new, that wasn't going to happen. I still firmly believe that the most important thing for this defense going into 2021 is to just have better players. I, I think the scheme is secondary to coaching these guys up a level. To have, like I said, I think earlier this week, the floor has got to be higher on the way that, on the play in this secondary. So I did one thing he did say today, though, was that similar to the offense, and how much of this is coach speak and how much you believe is two different things maybe, but similar to the offense, they can, they want to craft what they do defensively to the personnel that they have. The better the personnel plays, the more things they can do defensively. We talked before, like there was, there was limitations how much man defense they could play this year because we didn't, they didn't think their cornerbacks could play that against team against the best teams they played. The things like that will 
give them more versatility when they decide to make a scheme change, if they decide to make a scheme change. Yeah, I mean, they wound up playing that single high safety with like a slot corner when they didn't really have a slot corner to play there. So they did, they did not match personnel to scheme this year as well as they have in the past. Let's play another name a guy to feel cool. Uh, I'm not going to ask you guys to guess this guy because I've only been aware of his existence for the last six minutes. But I, what I did is like you start looking for connections, right? So we know that Ryan Day and Matt Rule are friends. We know that Matt Rule, now the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, was the head coach at Baylor. We know they worked together on the Temple staff. So I just went, this is, I mean, honestly, you can be a reporter. Anyone listening to this can be a reporter. I just went and looked at the Baylor coaching staff from when Matt Rule was there to see what are those guys doing. All right, that was Matt Rule, got his first head coaching job at a Power 5 school. He had been at Temple. He makes the move up. Who did he have there? There's a guy named Fran Brown who was the assistant head coach and the DB's coach at Baylor for Matt Rule. He's currently 37 years old. He uh, was at Temple as a GA in 2012, which is when and Ryan Day was there. So Ryan Day knows him, presumably. Uh, after Matt Rule went to the NFL, uh, he went back to Temple for a year. He actually interviewed for the Temple head coaching job, and he is currently the secondary coach at Rutgers. And when he was at Baylor, he was known as a very good recruiter. And uh, he's fr originally from New Jersey. And I don't know. He happens to be black. And I think this, this staff could use more diversity. Um, they, they are sort of stuck on the, you know, they've had Three people. And they like fill in. It's like they lose a black coach and they hire a black coach. They don't like hire a black coach when the white coach leaves. Just to put, be blunt about it. It's like, all right, well, they stand right and left and they hired Tony Alford, right? I mean, like it's um, Everett Withers left at the same time Mike Rabel left. And that's when Larry Johnson came in. So, I mean, I'm just saying, I think it, it is in the consideration. So like, I don't know anything about that guy, but I don't know. Maybe he's, I mean, he seems like, okay, he can recruit. Ryan Day knows him. And part of this too, Ryan Day was talking about moving people around potentially. Larry Johnson's not moving off defensive line, right? So I was curious. And there's not actually, you know, there's Madison was a co-defensive coordinator and like basically like the, the assistant bullet. linebackers coach. Yeah. When he was coaching in practice, he was helping with the linebackers. I think it was almost like Washington would have the inside linebackers and Madison would have the outside linebackers. So you're just cutting up that unit, you know, like you don't have to have it that way. So they talked about moving people around. I'm curious about that. It's not just about, oh, might you elevate Al Washington to co-defensive coordinator or whatever. And, and I don't think you're moving – you're not moving Kerry out of the secondary to somewhere else. But could you do something where you hire like a secondary coach and carry – kind of doesn't have the full position coach responsibility. Could you move Matt Barnes to help with the linebackers with Al Washington and hire somebody who is now with Carrie in the secondary? Maybe like, I, I'm curious, Nathan, I, I didn't, when Ryan Day said they might move people around, I was trying to think, well, where, where are they going to move? Because again, Madison's position was very, was a very tiny slice but it's not like there's a million options exactly. Like, what, what do you think that might mean? 
Well, I think kind of like what you're alluding to, that it's about sort of shares of the job, right? Like, you know, Kerry Combs was the co-defensive coordinator and he had secondary duties, as did Jeff Halfley. And Greg Madison was the co-defensive coordinator and he had linebacker duties, at, you know. So maybe they go that way. That's Jeff Halfley would... was secondary. Jeff Halfley was secondary as well. Yeah. This is not what I said? I'm sorry. I thought you said linebacker. Oh, you said Madison for linebacker. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, Madison for linebacker. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, anyway so again, they, they, they just, it's, it's all about the shares of the job. So then that's kind of what I was theorizing. Like if you think someone like Al Washington is ready for a promotion, then maybe you hire someone on the linebacker side. If you think that you need to give more attention to the secondary, especially in the short term, then maybe you do take that off of Kerry Combs' plate, um, especially because I don't, I don't know that I have a great grasp on how much Matt Barnes is involved there and in what ways Matt Barnes is involved there in addition to the special teams coordinator stuff. So I, I just feel like they have versatility right now. They can figure out kind of what works best for the staff. They can kind of also have some versatility now to figure out what works best for um, the individuals on your staff. There might be guys you're trying to keep and then title things matter. I think the secondary coach might, might be where it's needed because from my understanding Matt Barnes is just basically with the safeties but he's also the special teams coach, which is, I mean, I think the safeties need their own guy who's not slash something else, given what we're talking about with scheme and some of the things they want to do, especially since the safeties and the cornerbacks are now in the same room, which is one of the best things they, that Halfley did when he got here. Um, I think with where things are headed with the linebackers, especially in recruiting, Al Washington can just handle that. Those don't need to be two separate people coaching that. While with the secondary, because of what you want to do, you probably do need another strong voice in that room. I, I think it's tricky, though, because then you get into a position where you've got three different coaches who have a hand in the secondary and only one that yeah. has anything with the linebackers. That's, an, that's a really weird balance. And then how do you answer for that if the linebackers don't turn out the way people think they might? I'm going to play one more name because I'm just in the mood to feel cool. And it was on the same Wikipedia page as, <laughs> as Fran Brown. Uh it's a guy named Elijah Robinson, who was also on Matt Rule's staff at Baylor. And this is where you start getting into some wiggle, maybe. But I could maybe see them trying to think. It just, there's a, there are a lot of ways to go, sort of almost in the strategy of the hire more than the position of the hire, I think. So Elijah Robinson, he's 35. He's also black. He is currently the, the defensive line coach at Texas A&M. He does not have a coordinator title. Guess where he played? Guess where he played as a defensive lineman in college? Ooh, he played I like at, this one. He played at Penn State. And guess who his coach was? Mm, Larry like Johnson. So he then uh, – he played at Penn State. He had a career-ending injury there. He started off as a GA at Penn State, and then he went to Temple. Then he went to Baylor with Matt Rule. So this is a Matt Rule connection. It's not really a day connection because he wasn't at Temple when Day was there. But it's a Matt Rule connection. And it's a Larry Johnson connection. And if you are at all thinking about how long will Larry Johnson here is going to be here, do you bring him in? And this is where you can do stuff. This happens all the time. Now, sometimes it's not great, but like when Stan Drayton came here originally on Jim Trestle's staff, Stan, Dr Stan Drayton had been a running backs coach. He'd been Urban's running, running backs coach at Florida. And Jim Trestle brought him on staff and made him the receivers coach his first year here. And it actually, I don't think actually went great because he had like never coached receivers before. He'd always been the running backs coach. And then Trestle's out and then Stan sticks around and then Urban gets hired 
And then Stan Drayton winds up at the, as the running backs coach again, and as the running backs coach for several years for Urban Meyer. But you could bring in a guy like Elijah Robinson, and maybe he is like a, a co-defensive coordinator who works with outside linebackers, right, for a year or two, and then he's set up to take over for Larry when Larry retires, because these guys know all know everything, right? But that would be maybe, that's less, hey, we're thinking about scheme expertise in the secondary with a single high safety and more, hey, we're planning. You know what I mean? That to me is where you can go. That Do you prioritize a single high safety expert? Do you prioritize something like planning for the future and bringing in somebody like Larry Johnson? Do you prioritize a slam dunk recruiter, right? Like what is the thing that you're looking for? Because again, I still remember very vividly, you know, when Tom Herman left and they were looking for a quarterback's coach and Tom Herman had been like recruiting Texas for them. And Urban was like, this hire has to know Texas. And so, okay, you're hiring a quarterback's coach and Tom Herman was the play caller, but you're not necessarily prioritizing like being a great co-OC. You need a quarterback's coach who can recruit Texas. And that led them to Tim Beck, who knew Texas very well, but turned out not to be a great offensive co-offensive coordinator, right? So it is about what he's going to prioritize in the moment. So again, that's my Wikipedia research, but you've come across stuff like that. And Steven, I don't know. I mean, like, it's not, you're not pushing Larry Johnson out the door, but if you use this opportunity, let's get in a good, fairly young coach and have who knows Larry, and then now we're prepared for Larry, and in the meantime, we're okay. Carrie's got this. He's, you know what I mean? I think, I don't know, it's, it's another way you could go. I think with this specific situation, along with the fact that one, he played up for Larry and also played, he was a defensive lineman, I think that would be setting up a situation where if Larry wants to coach for three more years, if, and so – the next Elijah Robinson spent the next three years co-op defensive coordinating, but also learning from Larry Johnson. You're setting up a situation where you have a guy who can take over, but also the recruiting doesn't drop off because recruits look at that and go, that guy learned from the greatest guy to ever coach the position. And everybody who's come through there since, since he's been there has said, he's just as good. He's not Larry Johnson completely, but he can be, he's a solid substitute for that. And so, you know, that the next, Chase Young or five-star guy who is, you know, who's not from Ohio, who was only considering Ohio State because Larry Johnson is here, will still consider Ohio State because the guy that Larry Johnson that learned under Larry Johnson is now taking over. So that's setting up on two fronts: one, the development, but also making sure you don't go from a legit defensive line, one of the best in the country, to who knows what's going on up front. So the other thing here, and I want to give credit to, uh, I watched. Uh, I just took a look at a Letterman Row video talking about some of this stuff. And Jeremy Birmingham brought up Kevin Steele as a name. Kevin Steele is a guy who's been a defensive coordinator in the SEC forever. He's 62 years old, uh, had been a defensive coordinator at Alabama, been a defensive coordinator at LSU, uh, had been the, the last several years was the defensive coordinator at Auburn. And I think he thought he was going to get the Auburn job after Gus Malzahn got fired, and that didn't happen. Um, he's currently the interim head coach at Tennessee – but everything at Tennessee just blew up. And, and I'm saying a name like that just because I think it's interesting because you could go uber experienced guy with a huge resume. Like for instance, now the part of that is would the guy come here if he's not going to be the primary play caller, which is a thing, right? Like if are you deciding we're 
Carrie's not the primary guy anymore. But like, for instance, Steve Wilkes was the one-year head coach of the Arizona Cardinals a couple years ago. And then he was on, he got hired for the Browns for the Freddie Kitchens year in 2019. Steve Wilkes was the defensive coordinator for the Browns. And he'd been an NFL guy forever. I'm not sure what he did this past year, but he just got hired as the new defensive coordinator at Missouri. And so he is like a veteran NFL guy. He's been an NFL head coach, and he's now the defensive coordinator at Missouri. And I'm not sure. I don't know if he has a connection there or not. But Nathan, like the idea of like, not that we have to know the name, but sort of any super veteran guy in his 50s and 60s who maybe is coming from the NFL, maybe is coming from another Power 5 program. We're not, not, not Bo Pelini because Bo Pelini played here, but just generic very veteran guy is that more appealing than young up and comer than hey plan for larry johnson than hey do you have the single high safety expertise just bring in another great defensive mind who you're gonna have to pay a million bucks because they do i mean greg madison was making a million bucks so you, all right we'll, we'll give that million bucks you pay a million bucks to a co-coordinator at ohio state you'll get some good applicants is that is that a better way to go about this position we're not worried about the future. Just get the best defensive mind in here who maybe is kind of between NFL and Power 5 jobs otherwise. I, I don't know if it's, if it's best I don't, or better or worse, but I think it's, it's a completely defensible position because I think what this defense needs right now, I mean, you've got a head coach who has a philosophy that he thinks works and that he thinks is the best long-term plan and that he is, the, you know, that the, that the program is trying to recruit to. So I think just bringing in any perspective in a veteran perspective that would then help you steer that, I think could be beneficial. I don't think it necessarily has to be a young up and coming guy. I don't think it necessarily has to be an older guy. I think it could be either of those groups that, that still gets you where you want to go. Okay. I mean, like I'm, I'm just, I mean, I'm not, I'm going to stop at some point. I am going to stop at some point, but uh, <laughs> let's say, Okay, how about uh, Ron English? He's currently the assistant head coach and the safeties coach at Florida. He's a former head coach in the MAC. was a defensive coordinator at Michigan 15 years ago. I remember him from that. Has a lot of experience, um, has Big Ten experience, and has been around, and, like, he's on Dan Mullen's staff right now, and Dan Mullen's part of that New Hampshire mafia that Ryan Day is part of. Like, Ron English has been around forever, right? Ron English has been everywhere. Again, I just, I mean, I literally, I literally Googled Florida coaching staff and then saw if there was a name that I recognized. But I don't know. I mean, it is a big, Steven, in the end, it's not really the coach. It's the type of coach that Ryan Day hires. Whether he hires like a 36-year-old guy who maybe hasn't been a coordinator before, like Halfley, right? Mm -hmm. Or whether he hires like a 57-year-old guy who's been a coordinator at five different schools, like that kind of decision actually is quite a distinction that's kind of a big deal for him to make. I think that matters to him, which is why he likes to have both on the, on the roster because you get the up-and-comer who is just, to Nathan's point, going to try his best to you know, put that scheme that Ryan, that's in Ryan Day's mind and put that on the field and make it work. While with the older guy can come in and say, no, 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 and kind of push back a little bit and go, listen, this works too. It actually will work better for what we're trying to do here. So I, that's why both are important in this situation. The weird thing is, Kerry Combs is an old guy, but he's a young guy when it comes to 
what we're describing for defensive coordinators because he's only done that, done that job for a year. But he's an old guy in terms of developing talent in the secondary. Yeah, so I just it's it's good it yeah it's good to like kind of throw names out here and then if you randomly kind of hit on somebody then you can like take a lap and be like I will say people remember this longtime listeners of Buckeye Talk will remember this back in the day when Alex Grinch who had Ohio roots was doing well at Washington State and Tim Bielek on this podcast like a year ahead of time was like uh, Alex Grinch I like Alex Grinch for Washington State Landis and I were like who is that Bielek. What are you talking about? And like they hired, they hired Alex Grinch like a year later, and it's like Tim Bielek was like was like doing the boogie woogie. Like Tim Bielek owned the Alex Grinch hire just because he put two and two together and was like, all right, he's a, he's Mike Leach's defensive coordinator at Washington State. He has Ohio roots. He's an up and coming guy. Could he wind up and boom, he nailed it. So I just want to be like Bielek. And then That's it, all well, this is. well, then that backfired immediately. So I'm gonna buy a bird. I'm going to buy a bird so I can be like, be like, I, now I'm just, now I'm just looking through. Um, so I'm just looking through Chip Kelly's staff at UCLA. The defensive coordinator there is, uh, has a big old gray beard. So I don't know who that is. It's probably, I'm going to say it's probably not going to be him. Uh, does anybody else want to, you guys want to listen to me do this live? Find people I've never heard of. Okay. There's a guy who's the linebackers coach at, for Chip Kelly in, at UCLA, Chip Kelly, who was Ryan Day's mentor, who played for Urban at Utah. Again, it's a double connection. All right, I'm going to throw his name out there. Jason Kafusi, K-A-U-F-U-S-I. So I have three – I have like five hires now that I've owned by Googling their names and randomly picking them out so that I can do a lap if any of them get hired. We're going to come uh, back on the Tuesday pod – Doug's going to have research who was the starting middle linebacker at New Hampshire during Ryan Day's second year as a starting quarterback and see if he's now a defensive coordinator. Oh, I mean, I'm tell- seriously, if there's anybody that Ryan Day played with in college at New Hampshire who, like, is randomly, like, yeah, like the defensive tackles coach for the Patriots right now, like, that guy's getting hired. Like, I don't – who we just don't know who that is right now. We're, li- we're letting you know all the secrets of how this stuff works. Maybe I don't know. We'll see. It's a big hire. Well, let me ask this. How important is the hire, Nathan? Like on a scale of one to 10, is this like a 10 chance to like not reshape the defense, but like really lock it down on, from a scheme standpoint or, or get the next guy who's like a foundational piece? Like how, how big a deal is this? Or is it kind of like, well, listen, they have Larry Johnson. They have Kerry Combs. They have Al Washington. Like they're good. They're good regardless. It'll, like, you know, it's not – they could make a maybe not great hire – and still be totally fine. Yeah, I mean, I don't go all the way to a 10. I think it's more like a 6. Because I think at the end of the day right now, the problem in the secondary is talent and available talent. And, and last year, they, were, they had to make a decision between guys who maybe were a little bit stretched to what they were being asked to do or going with true freshmen. And they made their choice on that. And this next year, either those true freshmen have grown into sophomores who are ready to play or they're not. I, I don't know how much – I mean, that, that's really the challenge between now and August is how do you raise the level of play in this secondary. But the talent that's coming in behind is already coming, right? I think there's already the infusion of talent that's going to maybe solve that problem. So as far as, like, how good this team could be this fall and really maybe even the long-term repercussions, I, I, I kind of lean towards your philosophy on assistance. I would call it about a six. Yeah, just because – I mean, you're not asking him to – 
call plays or even have his own position group. He'd be the assistant or whatever position group he's in, and he's not the main guy calling plays. So it's, I mean, it, it's it's important, but it's not the most. If they could have lost anybody on the staff this this offseason, with all due respect to what Greg Madison was able to do these last two years, that's the guy you want to lose because, you know, it has the least amount of impact on what you want to do next year. And you're potentially not even asking him to be the primary coach of any position, yeah. right? Well, now here's the one thing is, so one thing is I think Madison was important scheme wise. Maybe he wasn't calling the plays on Saturday, but I think he was important to building this defense. I do think that I don't think we can underestimate that. And I think they did that with Madison because of who he was in the situation he was in. <coughs> Excuse me. They very well, this, this guy coming in might, might really get his own group it, one way or the other. Right. And I think maybe, you could free up – you could get in a position – and it's just weird where you free up Kerry Combs to not necessarily – but it's almost like that's what Kerry Combs does best. It's like, do you want to take Kerry Combs away from a hands-on, I'm with my position group position on the defense, but he's a coordinator now. You know, that's what they did with Greg Schiano. Greg Schiano, his last year, didn't have a group. He just was the coordinator, you know? And so I think they could go that way too. I, I, I think it's – just because Madison was sort of an assistant to a group, I think doesn't have to be how this goes. I, I don't think it's – I think it might be a 6-2. Depending, it could be a 10, but it doesn't have to be a 10. I'm really in on this guy at UCLA, by the way, now. I'm reading his bio. So, <laughs> um, this is some homework for you then, Doug, if you want to go down another rabbit hole to see if they knows this guy. Could uh, LSU secondary coach be in the mix and under those premises of if you're going to take – Kerry Combs away from being hands-on. You probably wanted to be a secondaries coach guy. So I, who, who I, is it? Who's the secondary um, coach? Last name Raymond. Hold on, I gotta go find his name again. This is what happens when you have seven. claim. You gotta claim your guys. If you're yeah, throwing names out there, you gotta take the credit if it happens. Yeah. Let's move forward. I'll find it and randomly shout it out. Oh, that's Buckeye talk. I'll find yeah. it and randomly shout it out. Yeah. Buckeye talk. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and let's talk about quarterbacks next. People want us to hear us talk about that. We'll do that next on Buckeye talk. Doug Lamarice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. Try the text at 614-350-3315. We're losing some people, but we appreciate the people who are hanging with us. And we get why we're losing people because, I mean, there were some people who really wanted it for that national championship run. We spiked. We're not losing people off of, like, our norm. We just spiked around the national title. But, again, I, I do think, again, it's, just a, it's kind of a different service in the offseason. But during the season, you can get Ohio State news and opinion and analysis a lot of different places. The texts are great because you don't have to look for it. You can, it's there if you want to look for it, but it also comes right to your phone. In the off season, there's not as much going on. So there's not as much out there. So it kind of serves a different purpose. It helps keep you connected to the team that you love when maybe it's easier to sort of float away a little bit. If it's like, listen, I love Ohio State football and I still want to know about it every day. And maybe I'll just know, you know, a couple paragraphs of information today because maybe I won't be going online to read stories because it's February. But it's a great way to stay connected for four bucks a month. So it serves a different purpose in the off season. Plus, we'll get back to brackets. But I think it's just as valuable. So 614-350-3315 for a 14-day free trial. Drop a review at Apple Podcasts. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. Nathan, who's the starting quarterback going to be? Ah! I don't really mean that. But well, I already made my prediction earlier this week, but it was a, a a gun to the head one. So, so what did you think of the way? What did you learn from Ryan Day on Friday as he explained 
what is next and trying to figure out who the starting quarterback is going to be. I thought one of the more important things he said was that as they're looking into the spring, um, the way they're structuring just all the spring practices is to introduce more game situations. And I think the quarterback battle benefits from that more than anything else. I think you don't have time to kind of mess around too much with um, just drills and stuff. At some point you've got to challenge these guys a little bit. I mean, he, he, he basically came out and said it like, you know, he wishes they were farther along than they were. Obviously neither Stroud nor Miller got to get as many game reps as they had hoped in 2020. And obviously McCord has none. And I think you've got to try to find a way to replicate that because the other thing, the other takeaway I had, like his other big quote was like, you don't really know what you have in a quarterback until they play in a game. And I think that's probably true of a lot of positions really, but I think it probably is especially true of quarterback because like nerves and um, poise and things like that are so critical. So I think that's what I'm curious to hear is how, when they get into those scenarios, who's kind of handling it the best, who is the one that is not getting rattled. Who's the one that's performing under pressure. Steven, I did. I did yeah. think that Ryan sort of said like, it did hurt him to not get those guys reps this year. He, yep. not that we mm-hmm. have thought otherwise, but he didn't, he kind of agree with that. Steven. Yeah. Yeah. It takes me back to that Rutgers game where Justin Fields came out and said, and basically admitted that he wasn't supposed to be on the field that second half. I think that's where it hurt the most and not being able to get the fact that neither one of them have thrown a pass in a football game and they've played a total of 18 combined snaps and their only touchdown came on, came on, came on runs for both of those guys. That hurts a lot. And so I think there's going to be a practice where the quarterbacks are going to be semi-live, not live enough to where you can actually hurt them, but live enough to where they know when they drop back, somebody might touch them because they need that because the first time they feel that can't be when they go to Minneapolis to play Minnesota and we knew it at the time but absolutely the most impactful thing that an Ohio State backup quarterback did in 2020 was when Jack Miller scored that touchdown in the last 30 seconds against Nebraska and screwed up Nathan's uh winning the uh point spread pick yeah that we we bet something on him. we actually never made you do the thing Remember, we were going to ever decided on what the payoff would be. Oh, yeah. I still have a folder on my desktop that I came across the other day of things we still can make you do. Thanks to Jack Miller. Steven, you asked about this and sort of how the early enrollees integrate. Mm -hmm. What how would you describe how much Kyle McCord is behind CJ Stroud and Jack Miller? Kyle McCord is here as an early enrollee, but you know, he didn't have a year in the playbook, even though they didn't have reps. So he's not really behind on game reps, but he's obviously behind on practice reps. He's obviously behind on knowledge of the playbook. And you were sort of asking about, all right, well, these guys are here, but when do they really get fully integrated into everything guys do? Like, how would you describe as Ms. McCord 50% behind? Is he, is he 20% behind? Is he 5% behind? How do you think he is right now? I think 45 to 50 is about right because those guys haven't thrown a pass. And so the only thing he's missing is being in the playbook and and studying it. And that's just on him to kind of fast track that process. He probably already has the playbook. He's just not They're They're in school already. They're just not going to get here because Ohio state doesn't start its in-person semester until Monday. So they don't get here to this weekend, but they're technically already college kids. So they probably already have the playbook and he's probably already going through it. So it's not as much of a gap as it would have been in a normal year. Even if those guys would have thrown a pass on a football game, then that's a lot different. But because 
they're basically freshmen all over again. It, as long as he can fast track his process into that playbook and that early enroll group does what they need to do. And as far as impressing Mick in the winter workouts, I think he can catch up pretty easily here. And then it gets interesting. I, I do think I, part of my reason for asking that question is I think we don't want to underestimate that he is behind. Yeah. Just because, I mean, it's, 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 physically yeah but also just i mean cj stroud and jack miller are taking reps in practice all season mm-hmm. and they're in film room with Corey dennis and justin fields all season so there is a lot of learning i mean of course but i think the one thing is we talk so much about how stroud and miller didn't get game reps and how their their prep you know they didn't get spring football last year a lot of stuff was thrown off they still have a significant amount more than Kyle McCord. So he does have some catching up to do. Nathan, in trying to figure out how this will go, Ryan Day did say, all right, of course they're going to split up reps, but he did sort of say, like, we're going to roll them, like we're going to roll them through, share the reps. But if a guy takes it, like, we'll lean into that. Like, what did you think of his answer to that? And how do you think that might manifest itself? It was an interesting answer. I, I don't know what that would look like, right? Like, I don't know what it would look like one guy just pulling away from everybody by the end of the spring. I, and that's the other thing that's interesting to me is kind of him saying, you know, roll with it. And if one guy doesn't separate, then we'll just keep rolling with it. Cause that's what, that's the other interesting questions hanging out there, right? Is like, what do these three guys know about where they stand at the end of the spring? Cause our assumption here is that not all three of these guys are on the roster to start the fall. So I think part of that is I think the understanding that they have to have a conversation with somebody at the end of the spring because somebody's going to have to be in third and have to be told that. So they can go on. If it's Jack Miller or CJ Stroud, who's in third, they can decide what they want to do next. While with Kyle, him being a true freshman, I don't think he's going to leave after being here for 15 weeks. But I just think if someone is is in third, if, if there's a pecking order and then there's somebody who's clearly in third, at the end of the spring, you owe them the right to have a conversation with them about that. See, I don't think you do owe them that. I mean, I think they might ask for it. But, like, for instance, and there will be comparisons made to the two – and I asked – in, in the yeah, question yes. I asked right about it, comparisons to the Joe Burrow-Dwayne Haskins battle in the spring of 2018. And in that situation, you, you owed it to the guys because the loser was going to transfer and you had to tell them. Joe Burrow said, like, tell me who's ahead. And they told Joe Burrow, it's not you, and Joe Burrow left. And then we know what happened to Joe Burrow. These young guys aren't quite at that spot. They can ask, but you don't have to tell them. And you can say, you're in it. Like, I'm not telling you, I can't make you stay, but I'm telling you, you're in it. And if you leave right now, you are passing up the chance to maybe be Ohio State starting quarterback in the fall of 2021. So I do think, you know, they're, it's a it's two second-year guys and a first-year guy. You can slow play it a little bit, kind of split up the snaps pretty equally through the spring and then hope all three stick around. We have talked a lot about the idea of we are prepared for the idea that one of them leaves after the spring. But I also don't think it's guaranteed, and I think Ryan Day being vague might aid Ohio State's case in that, and I don't think it's actually – I don't think it's being unfair to the young guys if you don't spell it out. Yeah, I think you can – what you're saying, I think you can tell them that, and I think it can be true, too. That's the other thing to remember here. It's not necessarily that Ryan Day is, like, blowing smoke to say that. I mean, you could get to the end of a – you can get to the end of the spring and, like, say on a scale of one to five, like, 
one of you is a 4.0, one of you is a 4.1, one of you is a 4.2. Well, that's not an insurmountable gap for the person that's the 4.0 to make up over the course of a summer and into the fall, right? At least if I'm looking at it as a competitor, that's not how I look at it. But if I'm going to make a giant life decision to go somewhere else. So I think all things are kind of on the table here right now. I mean, is it possible that CJ Stroud just is more talented? And with that extra year of experience, he comes in and seizes the reins this spring. And by the end of the spring, they're like, well, clearly this is the guy that's most ready. It's not going to change by this fall. Could that happen? Sure. Could Jack Miller end up being the starting quarterback on day one next year for Ohio State? I think it could. I mean, I think everything is still on the table. Can you do that and recruit quarterbacks at this high of a level? Which is the whole thing, right? You can't establish a thing where you're bringing in all these quarterbacks and then like you're jerking them around, right? But I I guess the point to me is I think in this circumstance that if you're Quinn Ewers or you're the next quarterback that Ryan Day wants to recruit, I don't know that keeping all three guys in the mix at the end of the spring this year would be viewed as jerking them around. I think in certain, certain circumstances, you're exactly right, Stephen. I mean, I, I mean, I think Stephen, you're right. Regardless. It's like, does this particular circumstance maybe fit a one where you could keep it vague? Maybe just because nobody's shown anything. It's like, how can you demand to be owed something? It's like, what are you talking about? I don't know. Nobody's played. So here's what I think. So they're clearly, they're not going to, name a starting quarterback at the end of spring. Is this possibly the distinction of what might be on the line? That on the first, because Ryan Day said he just views, if you have 15 practices in the spring, then the first day of preseason camp is just practice 16. It's just a continuation of the competition in his mind. But is this what it could be? That in the spring, are you trying to, to determine that on the first day of preseason practice in August, are you still splitting the first team reps equally? Or is there a guy who is the number one quarterback and getting more first team reps and it's not over, but it's not like every drill you're rotating. Who's with the ones. Okay. Well, CJ started that drill. Now Kyle starts this drill. Now Jack starts this drill. Oh no. CJ starts every drill. Jack and Kyle are still in it, but CJ has earned the right to go first. Steven, is that the possible distinction? I think I'll take it even a step further. I think we might see that in the spring where after maybe the it's 15 practices, so after maybe the first seven, you get through the first half where everything's equal. And then Corey Dennis and Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson sit down and they start evaluating and they start looking at and Brian Hartline, everybody, the offensive staff starts evaluating. They start looking at tape and how things go. You've had maybe two practices that were simulated and semi-live for the quarterbacks where they know someone can touch them. So you've got two of those to go off of and five other practices as well. And then you start to divvy it out a little bit as a so that way you don't in, in the world of you don't owe anybody anything you don't have to have the conversation it's just going to play out and they're not idiots and they'll see that playing out and they'll they'll be able to gauge for themselves okay I either need to go harder or I need to sit down with my parents and have a conversation yeah I think okay. the dialogue is is the important thing I ultimately why did Justin Fields get disgruntled to Georgia it wasn't necessarily the lack of not being the starter it was that in their view, he kind of got lied to or that he didn't get the fair shake that he wanted. I think it's more about giving everyone following through on what you're telling them that they're going to have, which is a fair opportunity as far maybe getting back a little bit to the discussion that you guys were having about like what this means for quarterback recruiting in the long road. That's where you get a bad reputation is that people think you're, you're lying to them. If it just, you just happen to recruit a bunch of talented quarterbacks and you give them all a chance to compete and they all come out of this feeling like I had a fair shake. I just didn't win the job. I don't think that hurts you. 
All right, we're only going to have 3,000 more quarterback conversations. So I think we can stop that one there. I think we've sort of laid a little bit of the foundation of how it might operate. And that's all we were looking for with Ryan Day on Friday. Let's wrap up with a look at the roster and the scholarship count. We'll do that next to finish this up on your Saturday Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, back with you on Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Ryan Day was asked about the transfer portal off the top and was also asked about who they might add with the late signing period in February. And I will say, just going off quickly, running through our scholarship chart, um, we know, and just so people have an understanding of this, the, the seniors who are returning for the extra year of eligibility – that was because, hey, this year didn't count. They do not count against your 85 scholarship count. So the guys who qualify for that for Ohio State, there's more than I thought there would be. Marcus Williamson, Thayer Munford, Antoine Jackson, Haskell Garrett. So you have those four that don't count. So everybody else, but like Jeremy Ruckert is back, but he was only a junior, so he, it's like he counts still, okay? By who we have on the chart, who's on the roster right now, with the guys they have coming in in this class, and who's around, they're at 85. So the extra four guys gets them to 89. So we're not talking about them. We're talking about the, the, the normal dudes are at 85. And Ryan Day said they're kind of up against it. That was his answer about transfer portal and recruiting stuff. They're up against it. Now, he said they maybe have room for one. We don't know. There is probably somebody in that 85 who has already said he's leaving right? And we're not going to play the transfer game today. There are multiple guys in there who are veteran guys who have not played. So that's always possible. And I texted out that we know there are two big time recruits who maybe are still in the mix here. If they both want to come to Ohio State, Ohio State will take them. This is not so I thought Ryan Day talking about this today was a being honest, because they're up against it. B being strategic because he might already know one of the two big guys like is not coming. And it's kind of one of those things. Sometimes if you're not getting a guy, it's good to make it sound like, well, we didn't really have him for you anyway. Or maybe he's trying to send a message. Maybe he's trying to tell like, Hey, if you want to, if you want to go, you better go. But I, I don't think any of the people who really, really follow recruiting should be like, Oh, great. Well, now we're out of room for five stars. You're never out of room for five stars. So Steven, we'll just, let's do the recruiting angle of this first. When we talk about who there may be, who are they waiting on? Let's just reset it again for anybody listening who is not an everyday recruiting expert. Who are the players we're talking about? Let's start with JC Tumalau, number three player in the country, number two strong side defensive end in the country, five star kid. Who, who knows when he's going to sign this piece of paper? He has from February third through basically the spring to do that, and he's going to take his time and do it when he needs to do it because he wasn't planning on early enrolling anyway. So that'll come when it comes. He's still favored to Ohio State, but we'll see with that one. The interesting one is Rajon Davis, who I wasn't told was going to come to Ohio State at all, even when he decommitted from LSU. I thought they had a small chance, but now that he'll be here this weekend, ironically, the same time that these early enrollees are getting here this weekend, I think that chance goes up by the day, especially if he's just walking around High Street, as I texted out, and Travion Henderson and Jack Sawyer just so, be, just so happen to be going out to get something to eat real quick and bump into him, I say in air quotes, then I, I think those chances rise up. So 
I, I'm not, and he's going to make his decision on February 3rd, which is the first day of the, the late signing period. I would not be shocked if it's for Ohio State. Right now, all momentum is towards USC. But, I mean, it, it can flip. This, you're getting the – Ohio State's getting the last word, which means they have an opportunity to flip, even if it's not an official last word because the coaches can't have anything to do with it. But at the same time, that can play out the exact same way Emeka Abukas did, where he went to Oklahoma – to make sure that Ohio State is where he really wanted to go. And he still ended up at Ohio State, even though Oklahoma had the last word. He could already be sold on USC and just be looking to validate it by coming out here. So looking at the chart, just real quickly, the scholarship chart, I, I just came up with 11 names of guys who I would say are, have been on this roster for at least like two years and might realize like it's probably not going to happen for him here, right? 11 is the most. There's at least like six or seven. So, Nathan, it's like it, it works itself out. You don't want to be a program that run guys off. We try to be aware of that. That's why we always try to keep tabs on the numbers. I appreciate Ryan Day being honest about being up against the 85. But, I mean, I think they're in a pretty good spot here that, you know, it's, it's good. I think the NCAA, we, we know, you know, they did this. The eligibility doesn't count. So those four guys are just bonus guys. We're thinking about the 85. I think they're in a pretty good spot roster-wise. That they don't, If they don't get these two guys, it's not the end of the world. But if they want the two guys, I think they'll be able to work it out. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I think that guys – like I think what you said earlier is, is probably correct. That, yes, they're at 85, but there's probably one or two guys at least on that list of that group of seven to 11 you're talking about, who've probably already said, I'm looking for something else. Maybe they haven't actually put themselves in the transfer portal, but I think those conversations happen all the time. People are realistic about this stuff. And I think guys also don't, not only do you not necessarily sometimes see a path to playing time for yourself, it's not any fun to, to be around and then to be continually disgruntled with your situation. And then now you're kind of the problem. Um, guys don't want to be that either. So I, I, I fully expect this to either to work itself out in Ohio, for Ohio State. Either they get both of these guys and they figure it out, or like you say, maybe one of them isn't coming anyway. But you've always got room for one. You can, I think you can always find a way to make one work in January, in January and February. And the part of this is, I mean, they did wind up having a bunch of guys stay that maybe they weren't counting on staying. You know, Chris Olave staying. That's a roster spot. I mean, of course, I mean, you'd take Chris Olave every day. But like Jeremy Rucker. That's a roster spot, right? That there's, there, you know, beyond the seniors, there's kind of some multiple guys here that got them up to 85. And I do appreciate that Ohio State is not at 90 right now, right? That it's like, well, we're at 90, but we'll still take any five-star who wants to come here. And then like by mid-February, they're at 93. And now it's like, all right, we're well, going to have eight guys transfer kind of on their own. Like now you start running guys off and that is some schools operate more like that. So it's, I, we just try to be aware of it. And I want to give Ohio state credit for this because I do think Steven in the end, and so it's 21 in this class, right? This, yeah. this really good class that has two more guys hanging on. They could have gone more if they wanted to, they could have taken another two or three really good players in this class. And they didn't. And they didn't know for sure that Chris Olave and Jeremy Ruckert and guys like that were going to stay when they did that. So I want to give Ohio State some credit here for being aware of the numbers and not putting themselves in a spot where they have to run dudes off. I do think that's maybe some of the benefit of getting guys locked in so early. 
is that you can be a little bit more mindful of the, the scholarship numbers because you know for a fact that if you just signed your entire class basically in the early signing period, you now know what extra you are going to be able to do depending on guys who may or may not leave. You know the NFL guys who have already decided to leave. So some of that probably pays into why they want guys to be locked in as early as they, can be, they want to be locked in. And listen, if Ruckert and Chris Olave had left, right, then you can go out in this late signing period and now it's like, okay, well, actually, there's this, you know, three-star who's the number 281 player in the country that we like and we've been in on, but we just didn't think we'd have room for him. But actually now we do. And let's go really dig in on this guy at the end. And yeah, you know what? He's worth a scholarship, right? Steven, like if they had the Mm -hmm. room, they could be doing that. But I do think they're in a they're in a pretty good cycle of this. But I just I, it's really important. I hate when I hate when the current players get forced out, and it happens. Like you know, there's a thing to transfer because you don't think it's the right fit for you anymore, and there's the transfer when it's like your your team is telling you like you know what you're never gonna play here. We really think you should leave, and then it's like a lot of times like you don't have to leave, but if everybody's being mean to you, like. I mean, you can force a guy to leave by, like, treating him like crap. Okay. And, and if you get eight over at some point, you wind up in a spot where you might have to do that, and Ohio State didn't do that. So credit to Ohio State for that. All right, is there anything else, Nathan, from the day availability? What was it, about 40 minutes or so? Is there anything else that, that we did not hit? He was grateful. He was talking about, like, you, you know, guys need a break. The, one, of the, one of the players get away. He got away a little bit. It was sort of like emphasizing that I think everybody was, was out of juice there by the end. Oh, let's finish off with this real quick, and then we can get into this more in the offseason. The idea of the gap with Alabama, and I thought the point he was making here was, was one that we know, but he very specifically made it. He said if, if basically if the Big Ten had not played this football season, he said the gap between Alabama and Ohio State would have been gigantic. But the fact that Ohio State got to play, had a good year, got to play Alabama – Alabama was better. There is a gap, but he didn't think it was that big. I thought it was interesting that one more time, Nathan, he reemphasized why this season was important, not just for these current players, but sort of the status of the program in the national landscape. I think it was a good point to make and one that people I think maybe weren't considering. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that they have to still get a whole lot better on defense in order to compete at that ultimate level, right? I mean, I think as you've pointed out, as we've all pointed out, like it's becoming, there just seems to be one of these teams out there every year. And ultimately, if you want to win a championship, you've probably got to have a better defensive situation than what they had in 2020 and maybe better than the one that they're going to have in 2021. That's, I think, still the big offseason search. And he was, he was upfront about that too, because he got, he got more questions about defense than anything else today, I think. And, and because we hadn't had a chance to really talk to them in depth since they had just got their hair blown off in the, is that a saying uh, in the national championship game? And he had more time to think about it. We had more time to analyze it. And he admitted that that's obviously a, a, a big factor, a big, a big focus for the next eight months. I think you're right. But also it's one thing to think it. And for us to speculate all off season that the secondary might be a problem. It's another thing to see it on tape play out. And if imagine if they hadn't had that opportunity to get on the field and have that be proven along be with, along with, we're talking about the quarterbacks not having any experience. Imagine if the, these young wide receivers didn't have that experience. Imagine if Paris Johnson didn't get a chance to go out there against Clemson and show people why he's a five-star. Imagine if Harry Miller, for 
I mean, first year starting left guard didn't get that. How much worse it would have been going into the next year. I mean, I mean there's so many of these. We're talking all these guys don't get that experience and don't get to prove what we already thought. I think that's why it's so important to get on the field. And sometimes, even if it's finding out your worst fear of this secondary can't keep up with the best teams in the country, sometimes you just need to be able to look in the mirror and be able to see that play out. There were some things we didn't get to ask him today. And that was, uh, I was trying to get a follow-up in on the Chris Olave decision and the repercussions that has for the receiving room, the Thayer Munford decision and the repercussions that has for the offensive line. Cause we've already talked about that. So we'll get a chance to ask him about those things later on. He probably would have given pretty boilerplate answers on those today. And he talked a little bit about what he thinks Olave's effect will be on these young guys coming back for another year. But um, that, I'm also intrigued by that. Just what uh, he's, I'm sure he's excited to have those guys back, but it does give them some decisions to make that they wouldn't have otherwise had to make. Sounds There's like Chris Olave might have the number zero jersey next year. I saw the people talking about that. Uh, Zach Schwartz, the video guy for Ohio State, who's so good, was saying um, if he would be COO, like Chief Operating Officer, Chris Olave, zero. <laughs> so, I mean, that guy's so creative. They'll, they'll come up with something. They'll have, they'll have a video of Chris Olave, like, walking into a boardroom and sitting down, like, in a suit, and then he'll rip the suit off and have the, the Block O Zero jersey on or something. By the way, Zach, if you use that, I want credit for that. Um, I was going to mention this on the Zoom in my question to Ryan because I was just going to, like, lighten the mood a little bit, but I didn't want to take up too much time. I'm wearing a backwards hat, and I'm still wearing it as we record this at 1 o'clock on a Friday. I was counting the backward hat, the backwards hat brigade on the Zoom. Bill Landis, backwards hat. Patrick Murphy from Bucknuts, backwards hat. Marcus Hartman from the Dayton Daily News backwards hat. Is it a fair assumption that if you are wearing a backwards hat in a Zoom with Ryan Day at 9.30 in the morning, it is because you have not showered? You can say the same thing about glasses because there were a lot of us wearing our, our glasses this morning. A lot of glasses. Yeah, I'm, I'm usually not, but I am today. Um, and, but as you can yeah. see, as you guys can probably guess right now, I have not showered this morning and I did not. Um, I, I want to keep things classy. I did not go for the backwards hat. I've been I've been up for a while, so I did shower, but I just yeah, it's nine thirty in the morning. We never talk to them at nine thirty in the morning, so I don't. That is very early for the average sports writer. Even in a normal world where we're in the woody, we're never there at nine thirty in the morning talking to them. We do watch them practice. No, right. Well, the only times we're in that early is when we're there, like uh, the first day of practice at seven o'clock in the morning to watch them run on the field. I don't think it's particularly professional to wear a backwards hat for an interview. But my hair is at a point where if I don't shower, I can't have my hair exposed to the world. I have to have it covered. And I look better, I think, in a backwards hat than I do a straightforward hat. But, Stephen, to your point, I also noticed the glasses. It was like an early morning class. Like, yeah. everybody who tried to get, like, the one thirty class and got stuck in the 9 a.m. class and everybody shows up in sweatpants and backwards yep. caps and glasses, that's what we were at 9.30. Ryan Day, I had, like, Ryan Day looked he was, Ryan yeah, he Day was, is like, He's the only one who looked like he was ready to be up at 9.30 in the morning doing this. I have bags under my eyes. I mean, it really is embarrassing. It's like, oh, 9.30, none of us can be up this early. It's you know so what? easy, though, because all you got to do is, like, you can go to bed wearing, like, pajamas and a T-shirt, or that's what you put on when you wake up, maybe, and then all you do is throw on a sweater like this, and it looks like you're professional, and nobody can see your dog pajamas <laughs> that you're still oh, wow. wearing at 1.21 p.m. It's definitely been some times when we've gotten on Zooms I haven't taken a shower. It's just like, oh, it's 11 o'clock. Open his computer. The thing that I think, link. Yeah, the thing I'm most thankful for during the pandemic is that they haven't figured out a way for people to smell me over Zoom. 
yet. Hmm. It, but it is a different world because we all lived like in the in the conference call world before, and now in the pandemic, yeah. it's become the Zoom world where we've all been on conference calls and nobody cares what oh, you yeah. look. That would have been a conference call with Ryan Day. I will just say for the podcast listeners, that moment right there, Nathan was talking about how glad he is that you can just kind of throw stuff on for a Zoom and nobody can see your bottom half, and he stood up and to show us half. his bottom half. And until he said dog pajamas, you did not know for sure what that bottom half was going to look like. <laughs> it was a callback to yesterday's skinny dipping conversation. Yeah. Dog pajamas was, is much better than what that could have been. So um, sorry to Ryan Day that we're a bedraggled bunch of losers. But, I mean, we're sports writers. What are you expecting? All right. So that's our Saturday pod. This will get you through for the next couple days. We'll come back on Tuesday. Our days off on Buckeye Talk are now Sunday and Monday. We're doing five a week. We'll come back on Tuesday. We've teased some of this assistant coach stuff that we haven't had a chance to get to yet because there's been so much going on otherwise. So I think we'll probably get to some assistant coach stuff next week, and then we'll start digging in on the roster. And there's just, you know, there's a lot going on. I think we'll do probably do a rapid fire coming up soon, get some more uh, great questions from our tech subscribers. Again, if you want to be part of that, 614-350-3315. For Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. Thanks to you guys for listening. And that – was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>